You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 245 and 246 of talking through the entire Bible in a year. Boom. It's pretty amazing. It is. Doing it the oral tradition style. Of course, we're rooted in the written word of God. You're free to follow along the reading plan. It's on that Bible app that I'm sure you can find on your phone. Uh, I, don't, I don't know those things as well as I know the Bible, quite <laughs> honestly. So let's get into it. What do you say? Yeah. Our Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 5 verse 7. extra flourish because we are in the book of Isaiah. Uh, uh. Isaiah, yeah. Here we go. So Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah, whose sweet little book we just finished, and we'll actually end up covering uh, a little section in Isaiah that is almost word for word a section in Micah. Yeah, so a little background on Isaiah before we get into it. First of all, I think he's one of the more well-known major prophets Mm -hmm. just because he's quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. Correct. And in the year 2018, and for the last 2,000 years, we've really liked the New Testament a little bit better. It's a little bit easier just because um, instead of the prince of the law, Moses, you have the prince of peace, Jesus. So Mm -hmm. we naturally look towards that. He quotes Isaiah a lot. Because Isaiah is, as they used to say in the old ancient language, the man. Oh, okay. Yeah, Isaiah is the prophet. And I was realizing as you look at the days, like, so Isaiah starts off with listing the kings that we just, the kings that he ministered to. Yes. And you get the idea like, oh, these kings would rule for at best 40 years, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Occasionally at 52 if you started when you were seven years old or something. But Isaiah and the prophets would would kind of work for 60 years, you yeah. know, or much longer because you start to see the prophets as the glue mm-hmm. kind of holding together the promises of God for the kings yeah. and, um, and the priests even. Like the prophet is the voice of God. Well, yeah, so the prophets and the priests, though, kind of have a more steady yeah. uh, time in office uh, during the rise and the fall of kings. You know why? Not only the spiritual reason is because God's, word is holding it all together but then there's another reason uh, is that there's no one competing for their job right like they don't get all they don't get all the cool stuff so they don't have the chariots and the women and the palaces they're actually kind of just poor normal no i want to see the bad news from the lord yeah no let me do it no one wants the job of prophet because you're the guy who always has to go to like your friends and say hey guys we need to stop doing this thing that seems really fun and cool right now right all right so isaiah really hits the scene at the death of Uzziah. If you remember, Uzziah was like really on fire for the Lord, as they said in the ancient language. On fire, which leads me to uh, strange Strange fire. fire. And he was the one who, at the height of his rule, when everything was going really well, he decided he's going to play priest and burn incense in front of the Lord, and leprosy sprouted on his head, and he died separated from the community as a leper. Where it should have said, holy to the Lord on the priest's forehead. Yeah. It said... Unclean. S- unclean. <laughs> Stay away. I have leprosy on yeah. his forehead. Which is unfortunate because uh, Uzziah was a good king. 
-hmm. He was doing good things. He just got carried away with his pride. So this is when Isaiah comes on the scene, and it looks as though Isaiah steps up as like the prophet as Uzziah dies. Yes. And probably because there's a little bit of chaos. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought we were doing good, and Mm -hmm. this guy was just trying to praise the Lord, and, and the prophet comes to say... I know things appear good right now, but uh, this leprosy should show us we're not handling the things of God correctly, and the, correct. and the Lord is the one who's going to uh, where we anchor our hopes for prosperity and security and all that. So the dating for this book is kind of like where it's not necessarily everything's in chronological order, and that kind of gets a little dicey. But we like that in, uh, in uh, our world today. A loose structure for the chapters we're going to cover today, one through five, and really one through six is all during, like, during Jotham's reign. So Uzziah just died, and Isaiah hits the scene with um, these kind of prophecies and words from the Lord for the people of Israel during the reign of Jotham, who is overreacting to his father's mistake and staying away from the temple completely. So that's exactly where he's at. The overarching idea, though, is he's going to be there through good and bad saying to the people, to the kings, hey, repent. Mm-hmm. And the other thing Isaiah says is there is a perfect king of kings coming. Mm-hmm. There is a prince of peace coming. There is a, uh, there is, God is going to come. He's not going to forget his remnants. He's, but we are going to be slimmed down here because of our extravagance. I mean, he's saying the same thing that Micah was saying. Yeah, only a lot longer. Yes, I feel like you're Micah. You got the short, like, seven-chapter book. And I'm more of an Isaiah. I need, like, 52 chapters to say kind of the same thing. Agreed. Oh, no, 60. I'm sorry. 66 chapters. 66 chapters. Yeah. Even for me to say that took uh, seven times longer. All right. So where do we begin? I mean, um, wickedness of Judah. A supernatural vision Mm -hmm. has appeared to Isaiah. And he's basically saying, I mean, in chapter one, it just starts off. He does the Micah thing. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So literally, it's a court case where uh, God is calling the earth to be a major witness. Against the people. Against God's people. Because they've witnessed everything from Mm -hmm. the salvation in the Exodus to their disobedience, to their crafting idols, to their just complete rebellion. And he's mm-hmm. like, why? Why would you do this? And I have to make this, this uh, case against you. And then it just keeps moving through chapter one to the, the point where uh, it just literally says, God's soul hates what you're doing. Yeah. And, and so again, the idea though is Judah is pretty confident in the fact that Israel, the northern tribes, are definitely apart from God. And they are resting in the mere fact that they have the temple located in their boundaries and their borders. And the prophets are trying to remind the people, no, no, that's not good enough. Like you're, the temple may be here, but the Lord isn't because your hearts aren't in this. And and the verses you want to remember from chapter one, because we have to take high level here, otherwise Mm -hmm. we'd be here all day, which would be fine with me. But, uh, you know, all of our advertisers might not like it. (laughs) It's really in chapter one, and you get to verse 18. But leading up to verse 18, he's just saying, I don't want all your sacrifices and all mm-hmm. your... Um, it's, it's interesting. I watch, I've been watching baseball, and the Seattle Mariners, at the seventh inning stretch, they sing God Bless America. Mm-hmm. 
And it's very surreal for me because I'm like, oh, that's a good thing to do. But I was kind of thinking of what Isaiah is saying. Mm -hmm. You sing God Bless America, but how many people in that city, in the city of Seattle, uh, really are looking to God to bless America? Right. And it, and it is becomes a tradition that's nice and we feel kind of good about it. Really, what we're meaning is we love our, our country. Right. Um, but asking God to bless it, I'm glad we say it, but I think that's what God's saying to his people. Like, you're doing things like singing these songs, mm-hmm. but I see what you're actually doing, and I just want it all to match up. I don't want you just to say this and feel mm-hmm. like, oh, we're doing it, check. It's and, a, It becomes a manipulation right. um, of God yeah. and being like, hey, we're doing the thing that you said to do, but we're going to look to other things and so we, that's where it gets us to the most the beautiful verse in chapter section in chapter one is come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool if there's the big if if you are willing and obedient you shall eat of the good of the land but if you refuse and rebel you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken and this sets up Isaiah's whole message it's mm-hmm. like. Bad news, good news. Yes. God's not going to forget you. He wants to cleanse you. Good news, if you turn to me. Bad news, mm-hmm. if you don't, you're on your own and you'll be devoured uh, the same way you're devouring everything around you. And then he uh, borrows a theme from Hosea, who was... Uh, Hosea, was Hosea in Israel? Was he operating in Israel? He was operating at the remember. same time. Yeah. We already went through Hosea, so I he think he was in Israel. Israel. Yeah. And so he was operating at the same time as Isaiah, and so Isaiah kind of borrows a theme from him as well, which is the un, like comparing the people of God to an unfaithful wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It is. Mm-hmm. It's the unfaithful city and how Jerusalem was set apart to be the place of God, and instead it's turned into, to use the Bible language, how the faithful city has become a whore. <laughs> so... Again, no one's in line to be the prophet. To put it biblically. <laughs> but what's cool, too, to me is uh, there's like a network of prophets scattered all over, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's not like God has left or forgotten his people. No. Just, that's surprise, so... I'm angry. And well, I didn't know you were angry. Oh, no. No, they well, knew. Well, then chapter two, we should be familiar with, especially yeah. this year as we've read through, we're just noticing the importance of the mountain. So chapter two, the first part of chapter two, is the part that is almost word for word the same as Micah's prophecy where Isaiah is again giving the good news of one day the mountain of the Lord will be uh, raised and everyone will look to it for salvation and there will be peace across the land. Right. It shall flow. All the nations shall flow to it. It's Mm -hmm. like the idea of water kind of always finds where it needs to run, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so... um, Again, this is what I love about Isaiah, and this is why we always use Isaiah, because we don't use the, the wrath stuff, but we use the promise stuff. Mm-hmm. And so even here in Isaiah, you see that all the nations will come to the word of the mountain of God. And we know this is like the word of God is going to go out and flow to mm-hmm. all nations, and they'll all come to the mountain. And remember, the mountain is where God is. Yes. And now, by faith, we move mountains. Mm-hmm. And so we all come to God through Jesus Christ by the power of his word. So that is held out for the remnant of, of those who can hang on to God. And so that's really cool. Um, but then again, there's a day coming <laughs> where uh, if you keep bowing to these idols, and he even gets specific where it's like, you guys are 
you would rather follow like the Philistines and the um, and do all these kind of be about money and about well, knowing the future. Okay, and- so he he hits a theme that I had wanted to mention with Micah, but I totally forgot because Micah had this amazing line, and then he right. kind of repeats it, where he's like, "You would rather worship the work of your own hands." Yes. And so I just and really Paul says that in Romans. Yeah, really thinking about idolatry and there's the literal like they would make an idol, but and like a little statue out of their own hands. But then even thinking about uh, us today, yeah, we worship whatever we can make, whatever we can do, and where we find yeah. that it worked once, that becomes our god, that becomes our source it's of the happiness. Work of our hands, and it's where we go when we are feeling threatened. Yeah. That's how you define God. Mm-hmm. So in chapters two through four, he's describing ideal Israel and Judah. He's describing then the reality, mm-hmm. which is bad. And then he's again holding out the ideal, which uh, he'll use some beautiful language like the branch and things like that. So I yeah. guess we'll work our way there. So the end of chapter two, he's like, he's like listing all their idols. But then at the end, he's going, there will come a day where the Lord will destroy all of these things. Yeah. And um, all of these things will pass. Like you will look for these things to save you and the Lord will destroy them and you will run in terror. And then he breaks it down in chapter three about what that looks like. And it kind of looks like what we experienced through the book of Kings and Chronicles where all hell is going to break loose mm-hmm. and you're going to be having infant kings. Yeah. And you're going to have whoever has a cloak, whoever's tall, who you're trying to say who will be our leader because it's such a heaping mess of judgment and it's then so scary. No one, nobody no wants, one to wants to be the to be leader. leader. And so we, we actually were noticing how uh, you'll see how there's children kings in, in the Judah. Line, in Judah, yeah. And it's because uh, no one really wants it. We think of it as, oh, you're so lucky to be born in the family. Mm-hmm. But really, they're going, uh, who? let's put the king on this guy because it's a all, tough position. Either all the other sons are dead or unworthy or don't want it. Yeah. And so we were joking, too, about no one wants to be the prophet. Well, there's a time when things are so bad, no one wants to be the mm-hmm. king. Um. And you're going to lose it all to Judah, too. So remember, this is a time when uh, Israel is, if not, they're not being ransacked yet. They are being threatened to the point of... Things are starting to look scary in Israel. And then chapter 4, so that's like the reality of where we're at. Mm -hmm. But then chapter 4, he holds out the ideal, the branch. Did you catch that? That the branch is coming. So in other words, what the branch is, is... You have to imagine a stump in your yard mm-hmm. that's been dead for years, and it's just a, an old tree that's been cut down. That's what Israel and Judah, Judah looks like to the yeah. world. The promise well, after all this, yeah. and after all this is gonna you're gonna be chopped down and you're gonna look dead. Mm-hmm. And um, and the promise then is that from this dead stump is going to come a vibrant, lush branch, mm-hmm. which is good for protection. And for, like, cleansing, like, you know how branch or a big, one of those big, like, Jurassic Park plants that we have around um, Florida, even, like, holds water. It'll be for uh, protecting you in the sun and for cleansing you. And this branch, of course, is Christ. So these, we've already hit a couple sections, even in these first early chapters, about the promise of Jesus Christ coming. But he makes it even more explicit when he talks about the cloud and the fire. We haven't heard about the cloud and the fire for a long time. Yeah, so it's really cool that he brings this back about how once this is all done and it looks like Judah and Israel are dead, are destroyed, are gone, uh, this branch will sprout again 
and it will and the Lord will settle back in Zion and he will provide a covering with the cloud and uh, a booth a booth over his people that are protecting and sheltering them and uh, clearly this is talking about Jesus yeah and what I mean, he's going to do the cloud and the fire should mean to you my little bird feeders the glorious presence of the Lord yeah. <laughs> I know. We haven't really, like, we haven't worked we, in. Are we bird sticking feeders. with that? I, I'm just, I'm trying it out. <laughs> but I realized something too. So the cloud and the fire, the presence, that hasn't happened since Solomon dedicated the temple. Mm-hmm. And of course it goes back to the Exodus. But the idea of the booth, you know, mm-hmm. they lived in booths during the Exodus, which are temporary shelters from the sun and elements, but they weren't intended to be perfect oh. forever, right? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. even, even being our booth, it's like right now, as we await the new creation of all things mm-hmm. and Christ to come back, this we it's helpful for us to look at what we're doing in this life as we're living in temporary shelters under the promise and the provision and the presence of our God. Mm-hmm. And it's coming through Jesus Christ. So then, chapter 5. There's a beautiful song that starts off going, right on! Yeah, so, and I think he kind of lands with like, the booth, because they ha- they're probably in the middle of the festival of booths yes, right now. because that's how you celebrate the Exodus, yes. the greatest event in his- the history of the people of God. Yeah, so just as a reminder, they would have a, uh, a festival, a yearly festival, where they would all get together and like basically camp out in their mm-hmm. tents as a reminder of, God led us through the wilderness and right. c- protected us. And so he starts the song off to kind of celebrate the festival of booths and it's like kind of like a very clever song where it starts off very positive and gets everyone like yeah feeling good about themselves and then it takes a turn to indictment to an (laughs) indictment that then the people listening bring upon themselves right so it, it goes from this beautiful forethought of a vineyard even to the building the wall around it getting the right fruit for it it's like a specific branch that he he grafts in, and then somehow it turns to indictment when the fruit that is produced is a wild, sour grape. Yes. And now you have to let it the whole thing go. So it's like, purge the wild fruit. What happened? Mm-hmm. And that's the intent of this song. And, um, and so then the response of us is, oh, purge the wild fruit, and let's make us a garden mm-hmm. where we can produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's where we end in Isaiah. So really, Isaiah, from the very beginning, is going to be going back and forth between the now and not yet, yes. now and not yet, now mm-hmm. and not yet. And that's helpful for us even today in light of Christ. There are realities now. We are victorious now, but not yet. Mm-hmm. And so it still requires faith and it still requires living in booths and uh, it requires humility and saying, Lord, I need your help for this. I can't do it on my own. So thanks, Isaiah. I'm looking forward to the next uh, you know, 61 chapters. Yeah. Let's move on to the New Testament. Our New Testament reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 7, verse 1. I, I don't know if I say this every, every day, but one of my favorite lines is in this. <laughs> I have about 100,000 favorite lines. And that's why it's beneficial, honestly, to read, the, to engage, and kind of have a relationship with the Word of God, mm-hmm. because you're just reminded of so many things. But in this section, uh, Paul, again, sounds like he has to, coming out of we walk by faith and not by sight, mm-hmm. he's having to defend 
a little bit like who he is. Yeah. And, and saying, look, not only am I having to defend who I am, but we got to flip it. We shouldn't be trying to make everyone prove how good they are, if, mm-hmm. if they really are of the Lord or not. We should be seeing each other as being reconciled to God by Christ. Like, yes. this is the gospel, so that I look at you differently now mm-hmm. because you have confessed faith in Jesus Christ. He saves the world. There is no other way. Hey, I see that in you, and that means you're forgiven, mm-hmm. and you have this hope, and you have access to the Spirit of God. You are the temple of God. And, yeah. and as he breaks this down, he, he, that's why he gets into the boasting again. And that's what we ended last week, or right. last time, was uh, the boasting. But um, there's going to be people who boast on their outward appearance. Mm-hmm. But our hearts have been circumcised. Our hearts have been set apart. And in fact, this is where it gets my favorite part. In fact, we've been so set apart and changed that we are a new creation. Mm-hmm. And in... Um, in chapter, so chapter 5, verse 14, I mean, he basically says, for the love of Christ controls us because this is what we've concluded. And he gets mm-hmm. back. Paul can't say this enough, right? Yeah, getting one, back to the milk. One has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. So are we clear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That means us. We've died in our sins and our trespasses. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So there's the milk. That's the whole thing Paul's trying to do here is just reinforce your faith in Christ's death yeah. and resurrection. So Christ died for us so that we might live with him. Now, therefore, and this is the part I love, we regard no one according to the flesh. That mm-hmm. means we don't look at each other based on the silliness and the sinfulness that maybe we're still stuck in. Mm-hmm. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, right? We used to look at him. We regard him no longer. Right. Therefore, another therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So the key here is stop judging me, start boasting right. in me, and I boast in you because we are new creation. The new creation of Jesus Christ that Isaiah is talking about, the branch has come. We now are raised up. We no longer look at each other in the flesh. We look in our, at each other in our baptismal garments. Mm-hmm. We look at ourselves as we look at Christ. Right. Perfect, and we love him, and we're reconciling this because how do you reconcile that? You say you're a saint, Matt, but you were just a jerk to me. Right, this is the ministry of reconciling the books and saying, oh, I know how to reconcile you, to forgive you. Mm-hmm. Now we're caught up. Mm-hmm. To forgive myself, now I'm caught up. But it's not just words. It's based in the real death and resurrection of Christ. So we don't count the sins against them, and we entrust this message. And then he even goes on. You're such yeah. a new creation that you are an ambassador for Christ. You represent him. You represent now, Paul's in an interesting position because he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ, but where is Paul? Not when he's writing Corinthians, but when he's writing Ephesians, <clears> that's mm-hmm. it. He's in prison. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this or it was in a sermon, who knows? But the idea of um, if an ambassador comes to the United States, we treat that person as we would treat the leader of that country. Right. So you would not put an ambassador in prison mm-hmm. unless you were declaring war against that country and that king. Correct. So that's why it's so key that Paul is saying, I'm in prison because they hate Jesus. Yes. They killed him once, and they still hate him. They mm-hmm. hate God. So the ambassadors of God, 
are hated. Right. But remember, you're not hated because you're a piece of garbage and they hate you. They hate God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. We wrestle against the powers of darkness. And so they're going to persecute you. And that's why he breaks then into, um, well, first he says Christ was made sin for us. Yeah. So, you know, because um, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's taken our sin. They're going to hate you because they hated him. And you're an ambassador. I always used to take the ambassador as, oh, I need to witness better. Mm-hmm. And it's not even, I mean, it's just yes. A, it, it is, but it's actually a passive thing Yes, the more em- than an active thing. The emphasis is more on uh, you are now officially a representative of Christ. And so you can't look at things to tell how you're doing. Right. Like if you're not received and accepted, you can't say I'm doing well mm-hmm. or bad, I'm poorly. You have to just have faith that, oh, no, I'm doing well because faithfulness is, is the, um, the line of success for us. Because you're new creations. Right. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, and then he says something now crazy following up because mm-hmm. he's like, Exchanges. we are being persecuted. We are being hunted down. The world is against us. But yet we are in the time of favor. Right. This is the golden era. We are in the time of favor. Why? Because salvation is available for all who can grasp it. You know what's even harder is if you are Jewish or from Judah. Yeah. Literally, the Lord's Paul favor. is saying the best king ever is our mm-hmm. king now. And his rule is so predominant and preeminent mm-hmm. and glorious. We're under it now. Mm-hmm. But they're going, wait. Things do not feel as good as they sounded when David or Solomon was king. How can you do this? He's Mm -hmm. like, that's why this is the ministry of reconciliation. And that's why we're not putting obstacles in front of anybody. We've become servants. And servants, and he has this whole list of, in every way, we are servants. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity. And then he goes, by... So by purity and knowledge, he lists the mm-hmm. good things. But I want to focus for a second on the bad things. It's like, why does Christianity have these lists of, oh, you're going to be endure, it's going to mm-hmm. be hard. And Paul, I'm getting it now. Right. Because he's, he's good. you have to reconcile, you are on the victorious side, but it's going to feel like you're losing. Right. You're and, actually in a favorable time, and it's going to feel very unfavorable. Right. So when you're going through this unfavorable time, realize actually you're the winner. Mm-hmm in a place that hasn't been fully turned over yet. So there's all these little pockets of death throws Mm -hmm. trying to convince you otherwise. And then he says, but we have this knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, all these weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And then um, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. So I I love this great exchange here. Yeah, he has to list the exchange because otherwise we'll miss it. So of course... So there is like this key theme of sinner and saint. Yeah. That we are sinners, definitely, but we are also saints under mm-hmm. the reign and rule of Christ. Like through Christ, we are as holy as we will ever be while also being as sinful as we'll ever be. But so he's having to paint this reality of there is a dual reality going on that you always have to believe in through faith. Yeah, it's, he's basically saying, you're going to live in crazy town. Mm-hmm. But it's not crazy town the way you think of crazy town, where you're right and everybody else is wrong. Like, that's how I think of crazy town. Like, yeah. obviously, the sky is blue. You're mm-hmm. saying it's purple, and everybody's laughing at me. He's like, you're going to be treated like you live in crazy town. Mm-hmm. As, and, um, 
because they hated Christ. People right. just don't want a God over them mm-hmm. like this. And so it's going to be as though you have nothing, yet you possess everything. Right. And he lists that great exchange. And, and you have to, it's helpful to go through this as often as you need right. to recognize I am poor, but Christ is rich for me. Yeah. I'm scared to death, but Christ has walked through death that I might live. I, like I'm, a big one is I feel unknown, and yet I am well known by yes, Christ. Yes. And so uh, as we get to the end, it gets even more shocking mm-hmm. because, in, at least in our reading today, He's like, I've been speaking to you freely. He's like, mm-hmm. my heart is so open to you. And he asked them, will you widen your heart towards me? Right. Which is such a beautiful thing for a community of people. Dude. We yeah. have to, even in our own families, but then in our own churches, widen your heart to one another. Start to see one another as a new creation, as forgiven. As, and then see yourself mm-hmm. as someone who's going to reconcile the differences between what you say and do. Mm-hmm. By the work of Christ, I can reconcile that. You're acting like a jerk, but you love Jesus. I can reconcile that by announcing to you, hey, you know you're forgiven, mm-hmm. and I will forgive you, but repent. Repent. Yeah. Receive the absolution so mm-hmm. you can move forward, and though you have nothing, you have everything. Right. And then it gets even more shocked, because that's a beautiful message. Mm-hmm. And the final idea for today is, and I'll jump to the end, you are the temple of God. Right. We're new creations. We are the temple of the living God. Again, if you've been with us for 246 days... <laughs> The idea that God would come to earth is absurd, and no other God's doing this. The idea that he would build a temple on earth, and even the pagan world knows temples are where God touches the earth, where your fake God touches. This is the place where the veil between spiritual and physical becomes very, very thin. Yeah, and I think even though the pagan idea is temples are the place where you reach out to God. Yes, you get to the highest point and you get the closest to God. You reach out. We're reaching out to God. But God in his temple and in his whole system, the true God reaches out to us. Right. And he reaches out to us and we don't even have to go to a mountain. We go mm-hmm. to Christ and he comes to us. Mm-hmm. It's not a select few. It's all who would say, Jesus, save me. Mm-hmm. So in light of this, it's shocking. You are the, the temple. And, and he uses a kind of Levitical and Exodus language where he says the shocking good news, which is, I will make my dwelling among them, and mm-hmm. I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. But Paul's point here is don't be unequally yoked. Because right. the thing we're going to be confused about is there's going to be people who do not confess Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world. Right. It'll be tempting to team up with them mm-hmm. and and then relegate the gospel as like, oh, it's just good. That's positive thinking. It's yeah. a good thing. But this is also good too. And this God is good too. And mm-hmm. let's take the good things and work together. And right. Paul's saying you cannot be unequally yoked. You can't put an idol to Molech in the temple of God. Right. And I mean, if you've been with us, this should not even be a shocking statement because <laughs> if we've been watching Israel and right. Judah... Their constant downfall is their partnership with the nations that God told them, drive out. And they just didn't, and they ended up partnering with them. Yes. And they end up following their gods. And God is like, no, no, that's not what we're doing here. Right. You are all in or not. And that's like the big deception. It's always, um, and even in our political culture, it's like, why don't we all just get along? Right. Because when two different opposing views just get along and act like they're all one they're just Mm -hmm. pretending one of them is going to take over the other Mm -hmm. and that's what god's saying is like look light will overwhelm darkness darkness will try to creep in on the light and so um 
what accord has Christ with Belial? Like you can't yeah. mix the message of Christ with a, de- a demon. Yeah, and so in Israel, we get from a, a nation perspective of like, do not mix national gods with national gods. But here, Paul's narrowing it down to the temple is now in you, in each of us. And so now it's boiling down to even personal relationships. Right. The most basic, fundamental relationships of um, marriage and friendship and uh, just being a community with one another. And he's going, do not mix with people who are blatantly going after other gods. Right. And by mix, it means become partners in business, in life together. Yeah. It's funny because even, remember Paul quotes even a poet of their day saying, um, bad company corrupts good morals. Yes. And I, I'm just kind of laughing. I, I'm not laughing, but it's a big deal in our culture. You'll have uh, Christians who want to, they find a great person who's an un- not Christian. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, can I marry this person? Can I date this person? And, you know, to Paul, he would be like, I'm not really even talking about that. Because it's kind of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And the language he's using is, if you're a Christian and you've confessed faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to partner to somebody in life who does not believe that, and, and when you do not believe in Jesus, trust me, you do believe in something else. Yes. You do run somewhere else when time gets tired. You have a God. Yes. So we, let's just get over the fact that, oh, well, I don't know about God. I don't believe in a God. So mm-hmm. no, everybody has a God. We are created to. Paul would say, that's like uh, you have a yoke and you need to plow a field and you have an ox and a donkey put together or mm-hmm. you have a, uh, an ox and a cat put together. It's going to walk at different paces. It's going to pull against each other. It's going to produce a field that doesn't work right. It's going to be really tough. And so you either give up on that or, or the other person becomes an ox. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not something that you want to do now. Paul does say, if you find yourself in that situation, people are getting saved and it's an ox and a donkey, you pray that that donkey becomes an ox mm-hmm. because um, it's just going to be a lot harder. And so Paul's like saying, hey, if, if you're in at this at all and you see yourself as a new creation, the temple of God, you don't mix. You just don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a practical level. It's just going to be, practically speaking, it's a lot better. Now, I know the practical experience of people. Yeah. There's, there's Christians that have gotten married and gotten divorced, and there's Christians... Yeah, that's just because um, even Christians are just jerks and right. aren't good at stuff. Right. Right. So I'm not saying your life's going to be a lot better because you marry a Christian and that person's going to be awesome. Right. I'm just saying give yourself a shot <laughs> so at least you can repent together. Mm-hmm. And that's the real deal, too, if you want to talk about uh, relationship advice. Mm-hmm. It's not even that they confess that they're Christians. Oh, good, we're a Christian. Check. Yeah, I'm talking about daily repentance. You want someone who can repent mm-hmm. and ask God for forgiveness and then they can receive forgiveness and love. If they can't do it with the God of the universe, it's going to be hard for them to repent and ask for forgiveness from you and receive love from you. Right. Um, it's just put yourself in a, a realistic position because you are the temple of God. Last line, hit me, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Ooh. You've been set apart. You are holy. Bring it to completion mm-hmm. by walking with the Lord today. It's perfect. We want to be, you complete me, Matt. The only way, well, you know, my wife completes me, but I got to walk with her and I bring that set apart relationship to completion as I walk with her daily in humility, in submission and undying love. 
It's beautiful. Thanks, Paul. We appreciate it. And I uh, hope this has been, uh, you know, a little bit encouraging today. If anything, here, you're a new creation. Yeah. Dude, explore that. Mm-hmm. Explore it with God. Our psalm for today is chapter 105, verses 1 through 11. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.